Well, good morning again. Thank you. So we are continuing in our series centering around Commitment 2024. And as we talked about last week, there are a few just housekeeping items that I want to make sure come across. Commitment 2024, or Commitment, insert year here, is a, um, an activity that predates me, I think, by quite a lot, where the leadership at the time uh, realized that it's extremely useful in terms of planning out the ministry year to know, eh, just kind of roughly, how much people might expect to give just as part of their normal giving practice uh, to the church. And that's just so that we have like a vague number and we can kind of think ahead um, this isn't, of course, just about money, uh, that, and especially as we're going to see today, uh, this is as much about also renewing our commitment to pray for these ministries as well as renewing our commitment to get involved in these ministries. Um, I know money is like one of my least favorite things to talk about, especially as a pastor. Uh, it's probably one of your least favorite topics to hear about, which I get totally, um, but also, I'd like to point out that this is not a fundraiser. We're not looking to, uh, this wasn't like October, where we were looking to fund a new position. And I'll say a little bit more about that in uh, a few minutes. This is just part of your normal practice. But it is a really good and helpful ritual and, um, and discipline to sit down and think prayerfully just about what you intend to do for the next year. Again, that does include finances, but also your time and your skills and your prayer. Uh, second thing I want you to make sure that you know is that this information, uh, which will all come in on March 10th, that is Commitment Sunday, will be entirely private. There is only one person that I am aware of that will see this information. I have no access to this information. I don't want access to this information. And as far as I, I'm aware, it just gets looked at briefly. The number is added to the main number, and then all of the forms that we submit go into a garage where it will collect dust. Um, this will all come together on March 10th. Leading up to March 10th, you will, have, you will receive a letter with a little tear-off section. You can also mail it in where we ask you to uh, tell us just how much you might expect to uh, give over that year. Um, that is not binding. Um, no one's going to come after you or ask you any questions if uh, it's not quite what you thought. And we obviously wouldn't ask questions if it was more than you thought. Uh, but... This is also on this form. We will ask you to commit to praying uh, for our ministries as well as investing some of your time into some of the things that we do around here. Uh, this, uh, let's see, March 10th. I think that's all the information I, was, I intended to give you all. I feel like I'm missing something. So come back next week because maybe I will have remembered. A long week. Anyway. Uh, last week, as we introduced this topic, uh, I uh, mentioned that the previous year we spent these four weeks looking at the ministries that we, uh, that we do here. Uh, and in particular, we looked at our uh, mission to the International District, the God Cares About You organization. 
We talked about our Stephen Ministry organization where people go through a pretty extensive set of uh, training uh, and they gain a pretty extensive set of skills on how to listen to people, which is way harder than you might think, and how to be there for people. And our Stephen Ministry program ministers to plenty of people here and out in the community. It is fantastic. And then, of course, we talked quite a lot about our school ministry and the importance of raising up the next generation of kids, just first off to have a good education, but also uh, to love Jesus and love his church. This year, uh, as I said last week, we're doing something a little different. We're kind of looking at just where we're going from a much more, uh, from a big picture perspective. And to start that topic off, I asked, where are we now? And we realized that if we as a church community have a message for the world around us, we have to understand the world around us. And the world around us is kind of crazy. It's kind of, and, and more so than usual, I think. And one of the most important things I think that we talked about is that fear is not a Christian virtue. And that throughout the history of our people, God has called us to be where we are and engage with the people around us, even though they have very different cultures, they may have very different values, and so on and so forth, without fear, but rather engage them in love, to plant our gardens, to build our houses, and be among the people. Today, we are going to be talking about, and we'll use the words of Paul that we just heard read, about what we individually bring to a ministry like this. And so, let's talk about Paul. Uh, Paul, as he is writing to the church in Corinth, uh, uses a metaphor or an image of a community of people as a body, and bodies have different parts, and each part has a different function. Now, one thing you might not be aware of is that for Paul to use this kind of image would have actually been pretty familiar, most likely anyway, to the people in Corinth and really to people throughout the Greco-Roman world. Uh, there are many different uh, orders, philosophers, um, uh, politicians of a sort that, will that used the image or the idea that we as a community are one body but with many different parts. However, Paul being Paul, as he uses this image, kind of walks over to one side and uses whatever the first century equivalent of a lighter is, flint and tinder, I don't know, and lights a fuse and lets it burn because he makes a very strange claim right at the beginning. He says we are um, all being baptized by one spirit into one body, which is interesting that he links the idea of membership of the body and baptism. And he seems to say that the, one of the implications of being in one body, is that there's neither Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free. Now, to us, modern people, we would say, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all one. We're, we're all equal. Um, and that's because we live in a culture that uh, has inherited many generations, in fact, roughly 2,000 years of tradition and thought and philosophy that makes the claim that we are all, in fact, equal. Which is, by the way, very interesting as society continues to make a push to become in some ways more secular and not religiously based or something, or at least not overtly religious. It's interesting that this value they seem to hold very tightly to when they got that from the church. I find that interesting. We can talk about that some other time though. Uh, Because in Paul's day, these two ways of dividing were fundamental to the way that people saw the world. Uh, For starters, uh, if, if you have a Jewish background back then, the world existed in two planes. There was Jewish people, and then there was everybody else. And if you lived in the Greco-Roman world, there were people who were not slaves, and there were people who were slaves. And Paul makes this startling and strange claim that those classic dividing lines between groups of people have vanished. And he does this elsewhere. He connects it with the idea that if God sent his own son Jesus to die in our place, to defeat, uh, through whom to, uh, he defeated death, and he is actively bringing everybody to the table, to God's family, then those traditional dividing lines would have evaporated because of Jesus. And of course, he's right. But if you are, say, just some random person living in Corinth, and you have heard the right, or say, uh, somebody like named Cicero or, or somebody like that, talk about being one body with many members, that's not how you would have heard this. Because they typically use the image of a body to have, and having many members to say, there is us, and then there is you. There is us who have power, authority, education, brilliance. We have the right connections. We have the right pedigree. We have the right genealogy. We have the right parents. We have all the cash. We rule the world. And then you're all part of the body. You guys are down there. The others, you're still part of the body, but you're not the desirable parts of the body. You're like the kidneys that filter out the gross stuff or something like that. Actually, I'm pretty sure they didn't know what kidneys did, but whatever. Uh, you get the point. In other words, the idea that we are all one body was used as a way to justify different levels of importance within a society. So then we have Paul, again, lighting that fuse and just letting it sit there, saying, hey, we're, on, we're, all, we're all part of one body, those distinctions between people have evaporated. And then he just kind of steps back and, and continues with the metaphor, waiting. And he says uh, that 
it doesn't make sense for one person who does one thing as part of this community to look at somebody else and say, well, I wish I did that thing. It's like saying, um, you know, I, I can't remember exactly, like, it's like an eye saying he wishes we were an ear or something like that. And if we were all eyes, how would we hear things? Which is a good point. It's a weird point, but it's a good point. I don't know what it would look like if we were all eyes, but... It doesn't make sense for the different parts to wish that we were something else. Because in this new thing called the kingdom of God, rooted in what God has done for us through Jesus, we all have a different part to play. And then he gets to the point where the fuse has hit the dynamite and everything explodes. He says, we would never say to any part of us that you are less valuable than any other. It is a radical idea for the first century. And it should be a radical idea for us as well, but humans being humans, we tend to not remember that. It's part of human nature to wish we were something else or somebody else, or wish we had a different set of skills, or something like that. But the picture that Paul paints is of a, a community of faith that loves Jesus, and has figured out, as imperfect as we are, how to work together. And, and if we want to be who we are here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as part of Christ Lutheran Church and School, one of the things that we need to do is learn or continue to value everything that everybody brings to the table. And believe me, everybody brings something to the table. We're going to play a little game. I'm going to say a skill or an experience and if that applies to you, just raise your hand for a second. For example, raise your hand if you can bake a really mean pie. Notice my hand's down. But all right, uh, let me note this here because, you know, <laughs> I'm just, just going to write this down. All right, uh, I'd like to have you over for dinner. Yeah, um, all right, good. Who here is really good at organizing things? You guys mystify me, but I'm glad you're here. Um, who here could, knows how to change brake pads in a car? Got one, all right. Two, all right. So three, sweet. We need your help because apparently out in Albuquerque, like when that light is about to turn red, brake pads don't work. Um, <laughs> I've done it once. Probably never again, but I have done it once. Who here knows how to trim a tree? Oh, cool. All right. Who here could, like, stitch up a wound? No, we've, yeah, I was going to say, I know we've got at least two, but even more than that. Very cool. Who here is really good at listening? And by that, I don't mean, like, I mean like active listening, an actual developed skill. Okay. 
Yeah, again, that's more than I thought. Um, who here is good? Who here would be good at like cleaning an industrial kitchen? Okay, so a couple. And and I appreciate that only a couple of people raise their hand because that's a that's that is a skill. Um, and that's not a skill I have. I can't clean much of anything. Uh, like if I have to clean something at the end of what is probably going to be a while, things will be cleaner, but they will not be clean. Um, who here could cook a meal and, and, and figure out all of the logistics to feed 200 people? Okay, that's tough. Very cool. Um, who here, and just raise your hand real quick because I know these types tend to get abused, who here could fix a computer? All right. I see one person who I know should have raised his hand, but he didn't. <laughs> Fair. I get it. <laughs> who, here could, who, who here has a really good artistic eye? An eye for like color and organization. Yeah. All right. Do you notice how many skills those are? Or how, how, many, how many people are here with those skills? Oh, there's one I left out. Who here can pray? Everybody's hand should be up on that. Now, that sounds like a cop-out. That sounds like kind of like the, the, I don't know, last place prize. Because everyone can do it. But as a pastor, I, I have the, the chance and privilege often. Uh, that depends, but, but reasonably often to meet with people who are um, either seriously injured, uh, something has gone wrong, or they're kind of at, at the end stage of their life, and so their mobility is greatly decreased, and they feel like they can do nothing, and they have nothing to contribute. And yet, when I talk to them, I, I will hear them say something to the effect of, but, you know, I, I make sure and I pray for people that I encounter, and I'm on a prayer list, and so I... I and what they end up describing is a very rich and frankly intimidating prayer life. I just want to stop them and say, this is not a last place prize. This is a vital part of a Christian community. Now, if you've noticed, a lot of those things that I named could, by somebody who really just wants to be better than everybody else, say, well, you do that. When in reality, they actually take a very specific set of skills, of talents, of a certain kind of personality to do these things. And they're actually really important. We use like the idea of cleaning a kitchen. We've got a really cool, quite large kitchen there that can feed a lot of people. And if we don't have the right set of people who know how to maintain that kitchen, and if we don't have the right set of people who know how to use that kitchen to its capacity, the wheels will fall off very quickly. But if we do have that set of people with that set of skills, well, we have the capability to meet one of the most fundamental needs that humans have. That is how the body of Christ can work. Where we each have a part that we can play. 
And each of these parts, each of these skills, each of these personalities uh, can lock together. And those things can be valued. In fact, they need to be valued. Because if we here at Christ Lutheran Church and School want to take our mission seriously about being the body of Christ in Albuquerque, where, I don't know if you've ever read the news, but there's a lot of need here then we need everybody. And God has this amazing ability to bring along all of the people that, that, that we need with all of the right skills and experiences and personalities to do this kind of work. So as we continue through Commitment 2024, as we think prayerfully and thoughtfully and creatively about who we are and where we are going. We can't do this alone. None of our many ministries work just by one person doing everything. In fact, we need the body with all of its many different parts and functions and uses. We need us to come together and value each and everything that each person brings. And by the power of God's Spirit, who is in fact the one painting this picture, we will go forward and we will continue to serve our community around us. And so that is why, as part of Commitment Sunday, yes, there's that like bookkeeping money part of it, which is not my favorite part to talk about, but that's why it's so vital that we also ask you to prayerfully consider using your time, using your skills, uh, to help serve, us, uh, help us serve, and also to pray with us and for us as we continue to engage the world. Amen.